please stand <laughs> for the reading of God's word? Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. In spite of all this, they still sinned. Despite his wonders, they did not believe. So he made their days vanish like a breath, and their years in terror. When he killed them, they sought him. They repented and sought God earnestly. They remembered that God was their rock, the Most High God, their Redeemer. But they flattered him with their mouths. They lied to him with their tongues. Their heart was not steadfast toward him. They were not faithful to his covenant. Yet he, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up all his wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes and comes not again. He rejected the tent of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loves. He built his sanctuary like the high heavens, like the earth, which he had founded forever. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. And from following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Why do we spend so much time, energy, and resources for the next generation? Uh, ancient culture set aside far less resources for children. In America's own history, kids went to work at some point and not to school. But in ancient Israel, kids had it better. In their book on how to approach their God, which is the Psalms, one particular psalm stands out. And Psalm 78 is a masquille. A masquille is a teaching psalm. God, through the psalm writer Asaph, teaches one generation to teach the next generation. And what we're looking at is Asaph's lesson plan, a curriculum, if you will. Three teachings on teaching the next generation. Here's the outline. Our commitment, God's command, their hope. First teaching is our commitment, verses 1 to 4. Asaph, the writer of Psalm, calls out to the people. It says, give ear, ear. O my people, to my teaching, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth. I will utter. I will utter. We will not hide from their children, but tell to the coming generation. Asaph is resolute. He's committed to teaching this generation to be committed to teaching the next one. And he has a lesson plan. Here's the curriculum. He says, I will open my mouth in a parable. Parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Now, parables and dark sayings are not mysteries hard to decipher. 
Because these things, as it says, these are the things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. The curriculum is a history lesson of the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. Israel's history is revealing. It's revelatory. What does it reveal? It reveals something about God, his character, who he is, and what he is like. Their history reveals his patience, love, and mercy. Now, the dark, parable-like part of that history, it's the incomprehensible, the mystifying. Why? Why do the people constantly disregard and cheat on God? When God is good, why do they go bad? Over and over again. That's the dark side of it. Now, teachers of any teacher, but especially teachers of Bible history, wish that what they're saying and the vibrations that's going through the air, when it hits the ear of the student, they wish they would get it right away. God is a good God. You're sinners. You need him. Boom. They get it. But some get it that God is good. They learn the lesson after a few failures to trust in God. Others, they're doomed to repeat history. Why is that? When Jesus taught in parables, some get it. Others, not so much. <laughs> Jesus told a parable of the carefree sower. <laughs> this is a carefree sower. If you're a good sower, wouldn't you just put it on the good soil? Oh, you know, just throws it crazily, lands on rocks, path, good soil. His own disciples don't understand, so when they get Jesus alone, they ask for an explanation. Jesus responds, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. Some get that the seed is the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And God is a generous sower. And when they get it, they long to be that kind of a heart that is the good type of soil. Others will give Jesus, Jesus' telling of the parable a two-star review like on Yelp. Simple, no punchline. What's the point? See, in Israel's history, some will see that God's glorious deeds and his might to save despite, in spite of, even though they disregarded God and cheated on him. Others don't see their hearts clearly, don't see a need for God, and don't see God's act to save to be glorious, wonderful, mighty. It's not all that. As teachers, parents, it's excruciating that some will not get it. But Asaph is calling every generation to be committed to teach what their fathers have told them and not to hide things. Well, see, Asaph has seen his generation hide things. Every history lesson hides things based on who wrote it. There's been an ongoing debate. I don't really care about this debate as much, but there's an ongoing debate on the cause of the Civil War in the United States. Was it states' rights or slavery? We hide the unfaithfulness of the tribe that we belong to. Israel hid their unfaithfulness 
King David hid his unfaithfulness through murdering. The effect on the heart of hiding our unfaithfulness, hiding sin, hiding times of finding comfort in other gods, the effect of that is that we think that we're not that bad. Then the next effect on the heart is that God's grace is not so gracious. Let's say that in your workplace, you are productive 10% of the time and goofed off or researched on YouTube the other 90%. You know who you are. During payday, the owner of the company, while handing you the oversized presentation check, says, here's your gift. Amazing, isn't it? But you're thinking, that's ridiculous. Oh, not just the size of the presentation check. No, you think, man, I work for this. I work for this. You disregard that you only work 10% of the time, and yet you feel like you're owed 100% of the pay. The company's, company owner's gift doesn't seem that gracious because you work for it, even just a little bit. The effect of hiding our sin to ourselves and to the next gen is that God's work is not so glorious, not so mighty to save. Why do I need the saving? And what he has done doesn't produce as much wonder. So just to prevent people from hiding, whitewashing, or revising history from verses 9 to 66, Think about this, 9 to 66, and we did not read most of it because it would take too long. Asaph writes out a collection, an anthology, if you will, of their unfaithfulness, God's faithfulness, and then rinse and repeat. God must be, God's people must be absolutely committed to teaching the historical truth and nothing but the truth. Tell the next generation the dark sayings Here's the dark saying, verse 37. Their heart was not steadfast toward him. They were not faithful to God's covenant. Yet God, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. That's dark. And it's true. See, that's the first teaching on teaching. You got to be committed. Second gives a reason for that commitment. Because it's God's command, verses 5 and 6. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. John Piper comments, God's intent was not to speak and act in every generation like he did with Moses when God brought Israel out of Egypt, or when Jesus died and rose again. God's intent is not to constantly repeat the Red Sea event. And God's intent is not to continually place Jesus on the cross over and over again. No, he says it happened once. And one generation is supposed to teach the next generation so that they might know the truth. See, Israel's continued existence as a people in the promised land was based on one generation teaching the next generation. They did not have an immigration policy. They did not. God told them, don't integrate with the surrounding peoples. So the only way they're going to grow as a population and move into and occupy the promised land was what? Having children. Another generation after another. 
So God commanded each generation to teach the next generation. Deuteronomy 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, when you get into your car, when you drive to the restaurant, at the restaurant, getting back in your car, when they brush their teeth, when you put them to bed, everywhere you're supposed to teach them. Hmm. Well, what are you supposed to teach them? Here's the curriculum. God established the curriculum, verse 5. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel. It's a two-part curriculum, ladies and gentlemen, two parts. First part, a testimony and a law. That's the second part. The two parts are repeated in verse 7. Not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. So a testimony is a telling. Jimmy, go to the next one. A testimony is a telling of God's work to save a people for himself. And the law is what the Israelites were to, be, were to obey. The order is important. Testimony first, and then the law to be obeyed. I'll give you two examples. Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5 are the two times God gives the law in the form of Ten Commandments. Each time it begins with this. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then the listing of commandments start with, you shall have no other gods before me. Keeping the Ten Commandments is a grateful response to God's work in saving your people. That order is important. Herman Ritterboss Via Brian Chapel is very helpful at this point. Every imperative of scripture, what we, are, what we are to do for God, what we are to do for God rests on the indicative, who we are in relationship to God because of what he has done. The, the order is absolutely important. It's not reversible. This is unique among the world's religions, absolutely. Characteristic of other religions and human instinct, instinct is this. Here are the laws, rules, and principles you must keep so that the gods will accept you and bless you. You pay the dues for your job, you're going to get promoted. Yeah, that's how it works. That's how everything works in the world. You do X, Y, Z, and you will be blessed with ABC. But see, uh, even Christians confuse or invert testimony and law. Or in fact, we forget the testimony. Look, verse 7. Verse 7 points out every generation's tendency to forget the works of God. Verse 11. They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. Verse 48, 42. They did not remember his power or the day when he redeemed them from the foe. Forget is another way of saying neglect. Not believe, disregard, not trust that God is able to save them, that God has shown mercy. Now, when a generation forgets, it loses the gratefulness that fuels 
obedience. Rather than out of joy, one obeys God out of mere duty for God to work in your life, to answer your prayer. The order gets flipped. And it is crystal clear, as you see in verses 9 to 66, that Israel could not obey enough to obligate God to bless them. And if we're honest with ourselves and stop lying to ourselves, we cannot obey God enough to obligate God to bless. In Wellspring Church, this generation must obey God's command to teach the next generation of the testimony and law in that order. Which means that everyone who parents, who works with the next generation, would remind ourselves and others of what God has done for us and then tell them what God expects of us. And even when we fail God's expectations, what do we do? Circle back. This is what God has done for us. Testimony than law. That's the second teaching on teaching. The objectives of God's lesson plan is number three. All this really is to place their hope in God. You'll see it in verse seven to eight. The word home can also be translated as confidence and trust. The first objective of telling the history of God's works and not hiding the history of their own faithfulness, and then telling them the testimony of God's work, and then the law they were to keep, all of it, all of it was designed so that they would place their hope, trust, confidence in God and not in themselves. That's the first objective. Here's the second one. In verse 8, it says, teach them not be like their fathers. Imagine that. Parents teaching children, don't be like us. Don't be like us. Kids camp staff saying to campers, don't be like us. What kind of philosophy of education is that? I've studied philosophy of education. This goes counter to so much, enough of us come from a shame-based culture where the trope is that parents do not admit fault to the point that it becomes toxic for the next generation. But here, God commands. In order for kids to, the next generation to place their hope in God, what do you say? Don't be like us. Can you imagine that? <laughs> why do we need to confess to others, especially to our children? Right? The young, you know why? At least one thing. The younger generation can smell hypocrisy. <laughs> they can smell what the rock is cooking. <laughs> you know it. Parents might be afraid that if you confess sins to children, that they will say, why should I listen to you? You, are no, you parental unit are no longer a credible authority figure in my life. You, can't, you cannot be trusted. Now, if parents never confess sins, and if, all, by the way, children, don't go and make your parents confess to you. If parents never confess sins, and if all that parents teach their children is God demands perfection, then children will grow up thinking that in order to be accepted by God, we need to be morally and religiously good. We may inadvertently, accidentally, unknowingly, telling them, you too can be like us, morally good enough to obligate God to bless you. But that would not be true. 
It wasn't true with Israel, and it's definitely not true with you. Come on, let's face it. Let's not lie to ourselves and lie to anybody else. See, all we would be raising is little legalists, little moralists, people who think that as long as I do good, God will bless me. See, if that's the case, then God's glory and might and wonder will be diminished. See, if we continue to front as good examples of being upright people, then confessions of law and moral corruption would destroy us. If that's how we think the Christian life is, that we're just pretending, we're just affronting being good people, that's what the Christian life is, that any confession of flaw would destroy you, destroy your reputation. How can we say, don't be like us? How can we say that? Only when we know that our flaws and sins are forgiven and will never be used against us by God. Asher and Ezra, 90% of the time I tell them what to do. You gotta do this, you gotta do this well, you gotta do this well. 50% of the time they listen. Oh, it's frustrating. Sometimes I get impatient with them. I yell at them. Why don't you do this right? But then there's the 10%. I sit them down and I say, ah, sure, that's right. You know why? And I'm telling you all these rules and regulations and how you disobey. You know, so that it's not because you're supposed to obey. Let's just face the fact you don't really obey. You haven't changed. I told you not to pick on your brother. You still keep picking on your brother. Do you think you'll change? And he's like... Probably not. <laughs> yeah, honest, right? I say, yeah. See, this whole thing is really to convince you that that's how you're like. But you know the interesting thing is? I'm like that too. <laughs> that's me too. I've tried to change, but there's certain areas of my life I haven't been able to change. But you know, that's the reason why Jesus loves us. Why Jesus is there for us. Why we need him desperately today. There's a phrase, do what I say, not what I do. Uh, This passage, Psalm 78, changes that a little bit. Don't do what I have done. I've been unfaithful to God. Do what I say. Look to God as your hope. Look at what he has done for us. Look at his forgiveness. That's the curriculum. That's the lesson plan. Because see, that is the gospel. Isn't that the gospel? What does the gospel say? that we are so much more sinful than the next generation can imagine. Yet God's grace is so much more gracious in Jesus than we can dare to hope. Don't be like us. And don't say, be better. I don't know what that means. (laughs) Just say, don't be like us. Look to Jesus with us. Imagine a generation sharing their weaknesses and confessing their sins to the next generation, yet boldly teaching them that God is faithful in Jesus. That, that is a church that is warmed up by the gospel. Mm. Mm. That's warmed up by the gospel. Imagine what that would do for the next generation. They will understand that church is not just a place to be entertained. That church is not just about religious things. 
But the church is a place of transparency. Broken people being healed. And of God's faithfulness and grace. And possibly, maybe, possibly, maybe, the next generation will be gripped or clued into grace so that they would live in the gospel. Yeah, they would recognize, yeah, I'm a sinner in need of grace. And they would recognize that as they go to college in the East Coast, find jobs, get married early, and raise another generation of children. You know, I'm, I got married late. Then I had kids late. You know, I'm some age, you know, we're some of the same age, and you know, some of you are like empty nesters. I got a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old. I'm not going to see my grandchildren. No, I've just given that up for the Lord. <laughs> so what, which, I can't teach my grandchildren, right? I'm not I'm great-grandchildren. Forget about it, right? <laughs> what I got to do is I got to teach Asher and Ezra really well the dark scenes of old, right? Tell them, don't be like me. Look to Jesus, right? Why? So that they teach their children. And one day, there will be no more Fuji. No more Fuji. They won't remember their great-great-grandfather's name, but they will know Jesus. Yes, 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 yes. Get married early. Raise another. That's, that's the only more. That's, what, that's all you're going to remember. <laughs> Raise another generation of children will place their hope in God. So what must we do to change our hearts, to change our approach to teaching? Uh, we got to get to Jesus. Asaph, in his lesson plan, makes a very curious turn near the end. He's been using Ephraim as the quintessential representative of Israel. Ephraim is one of the bigger tribes. But as Israel and Ephraim have been unfaithful, Asaph turns to the tribe of Judah to its great King David, verse 80, a better shepherd. But even King David knew his flaws and his sins against God. And he himself looked forward to a prophesied descendant who was shepherd and guide. In fact, Asaph is King David's psalmist. Asaph looked forward to a better Asaph, a better David a better teacher to Jesus. See, Jesus taught using parables because he knew the dark sayings, the history of mankind. All these things Jesus said to the crowds. This is Matthew 13. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth. In parables, I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. What was hidden since the foundation of the world? Not the sinfulness of man. That's very clear. But what was hidden? That the seed of the woman will come. And the generations will hear of God's grace and salvation. And that in Jesus. See, he's better. Jesus is better because he's committed to the generation of mankind. Only he is able to actually flip the order. He obeyed the law so that he can be our testimony. Jesus obeyed the law that I should have obeyed. Jesus died to death as though that he broke every bit of the law. As I did 
And as the resurrected one, he offers to believers all of God's glory and might and wonder. Is Jesus the teacher who teaches us by saying, set your hope in me and be like me to the degree that we would trust him today? We can actually say to kids campers, we can actually say to the next generation, we can actually say to our children, don't be like me. Place your hope in Jesus. Jesus is that good news. Would you pray for that kind of commitment? Would you pray to obey God's command? And would you commit for this kind of objective here at Wellspring? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we need you. Holy Spirit, would you help us to see and practice the gospel? That we are fundamentally flawed. And we forget, we hide and we act like we have been obeying you all along. But Holy Spirit, would you remind us of who we are, sinners, and yet who we truly are in Christ, having experienced your saving grace. Remind us of who Jesus is in our lives. Remind us that we are united to him. Remind us of his grace and mercy so that we are committed to the next generation, so that they would see and hear Jesus from us. Bless us now as we go to the table. In Jesus' name.